Let's sing our opening hymn together, 331. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace in the mansions bright and blessed. He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. to sing. together before the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, as we come to the house of God tonight and to this place of worship, we do rejoice in the place that is called heaven, that place that God has prepared for those that love him. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And yet Paul goes on to say that it has been revealed unto us And though these physical eyes have not seen, and though these ears of ours have not heard everything that is to be heard, and though these hearts have not contemplated all that the Father has led up for us in the life to come, yet we thank you for the revelation of your word that tells us about the Father's house, the place of the many mansions, that place of eternal rest where the people of God will rest from their labors that place where God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes, 
and there'll be no more sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more death, for their former things will have passed away and passed away forever. Think of the last two chapters of your word that set before us that which is yet to be and the glories that are before the blood-bought people of God. We can say in our hearts tonight, we're going by and by to the palace of the King. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're going there, Lord, we know, not because of who we are or anything that we have done. There's absolutely nothing that we accomplished that made us fit for the kingdom of heaven. But we owe everything to Christ, thy beloved Son, the one whom thou didst send into the world to be the sacrifice for sin. We thank you that in loving kindness Jesus came. Thank thee for the incarnation and coming up, Lord, to this Christmas time, we'll be thinking more and more about the fact that Christ came to the cradle. He came into this world as a babe. We thank you, Lord, that he grew up in this world and he exercised a ministry among men for three and a half years. And then at the conclusion, he went to the cross, laid down his life that we might be saved. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us our need, showing to us a Savior from sin, and for that grace that worked within, that, that brought us to Christ. And tonight, Lord, we're saved, saved by grace alone, nothing of ourselves. We owe it all to Christ, and it is our desire that others will come to know Him. Lord, we've been praying today already, and each prayer meeting that's been held for loved ones that are outside of Christ sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, strangers to your grace, going down the broad road that leads to a Christless hell. Lord, we pray for them. We weep o'er them. We pray in Jesus' name that thou wilt lay hold upon them and open their eyes to see. Except the Lord build the house, then we labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord moves in the heart by the the power of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but then our preaching is in vain. But Lord, take your word back at home to the hearts of men and women by the power of God. On that great day of Pentecost, souls were awakened. Peter stood up to preach and he proclaimed Christ in his great work, in his death and his resurrection. And Lord, when the end of that sermon came, it was that multitude that cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they enclosed with the offer of God's grace and salvation and found Christ. Lord, we pray at the conclusion of our sermons that we still preach here in this world, thou wilt set seal to the gospel and that thou wilt bring sinners to Christ. Cause them to cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And give us the joy to point them to a savior from all sin. So bless this meeting, bless all who have come. Remember those that are joining us on the internet. Be with them too, just where they are. Make this meeting count for eternity. Remember our absent brethren and sisters. Pray for Phil as he's preaching away tonight. We remember the word of truth as they're ministering in song elsewhere. And any others that might be away serving the Lord tonight from this congregation, be with them where they are. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For a long time, I suppose, since um, the COVID days, we've only been singing three, ver three hymns at our services. So we're going to introduce a fourth, like we always did. And we're going to sing just now 390. Thank you, sisters, mother and daughter. Dear Savior, thou art mine. How sweet the thought to me. Let me repeat thy name and lift my heart to thee. And what a joy is in your heart and mine as Christians to be able to say, mine, 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 I know thou art mine. Savior, dear Savior, I know thou art mine. What a joy it is to know, to have this certainty that Christ is ours and we are his tonight. Beautiful hymn. Let's stand as we sing the words together. So I'll stand to sing.
word of welcome to you as you come to God's house tonight here at Hebron. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to see you. We also welcome those that are tuning in on the internet, sermon, audio, Facebook, or YouTube. Refreshments will be served. We always invite you to stay if you want to enjoy a time of fellowship with a congregation. I know some have to rush home, uh, but you're welcome, and we trust that you will stay. Things have been provided for you. Tuesday is children's meeting, the youth challenge at 7 o'clock. Tuesday is also the choir practice, the Hebron choir at 8 o'clock. And Thursday night is the midweek service at 8 o'clock. We've been thinking recently in our session about the young people and the children of our congregation, and we want to devote more time praying for them. So two Thursday nights will be given over, and this Thursday night is to do with the Sunday School and the Youth Challenge. So thinking especially of the children, and Wesley and Andrew will be responsible for bringing reports and setting prayer requests before the congregation. The Hebron Church dinner is on Friday night. Don't know what happened to the Friday there, but Friday should stand at the top of that. It's in Macaraboy House Hotel at 7 o'clock. Today is the final day to get your name in. I think there's 167 names on it or so, so far, but the hotel needs confirmation tomorrow. So that's this coming Friday night, setting to eat at 7, getting there a little bit earlier to get uh, a table if you have friends and family that you want to sit with. Saturday is a general clean-up day in and outside the church here at Hebron, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning. Saturday is also the open air, going into the center of the town near Danske Bank, standing there for the preaching of the gospel at 11 a.m. Next Lord's Day, the prayer meeting, 8 o'clock. Sunday school, 10.30, Bible class, quarter to 11, and then our worship service as we come back to Mark's gospel is at 12 noon. Christmas family night service, 7 o'clock. Charlotte Cahey from Porto Bogie will be here to sing in the will of the Lord, and I'll be preaching. Supper will be served, and the ladies have been asked to bring half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. Could I mention Tuesday the 6th of December? We've been having monthly meetings, and perhaps soon we'll go back to twice a month, but we've been meeting on the first Tuesday of December in the morning, and it's the Senior Fellowship, and we always like uh, the Tuesday nearest Christmas to have a little special tea for them. That's 11 o'clock Tuesday the 6th of December, not too far away. Tuesday the 6th, in the evening time, the Youth Challenge is having its final meeting, and it is a special one with the Christmas emphasis, the Christmas story being told, and that's at 7 o'clock. Thursday the 8th of December will be the other night devoted to the young people as we pray for the Bible class and the Youth Fellowship, particularly at our midweek, and our Bible class leaders and our Youth Fellowship leader will be responsible for reports that night. Friday the 9th of, this, of December. It's not Friday night at the moment. It's the 1 o'clock. Didn't get that changed. Ukrainian group are going to McGilligan Prison, and they've made this uh, an open invitation to all the prisoners to come and hear the testimony of the pastor and hear a group of them who will sing on that occasion. Uh, so you pray that God will bless this. There's an open door here for the presentation of the gospel Sunday school party is at 7, and Youth Fellowship will be visiting the seniors at the same time. The invitations for the party are available for the children just to remind them. Remember the Lord's Day, the 11th, Christmas, Friends, and Neighbors Night. The next week, our annual Christmas carol service, and then on Christmas Day, our gospel meeting, and various ones in the church will be taking part, singing and reading and so forth. Thank you sincerely for your tithes and offerings for the work of God. And please remember the Covenanters trip. If you're intending to go, you have to see Mervyn or Christine. They're not here tonight because they're away singing with the Word of Truth, but do get in touch with them as soon as possible. Well, we've got through the announcements quickly. Uh, we're going to sing another hymn, and it's the hymn 293. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. No other way. Not many ways. Just one way. And it's the way of the cross. 
And when you bypass the cross, you'll be lost. You don't get to the cross and know the cleansing of the blood of the Savior, you'll be lost. So don't miss it. If the way of the cross I miss, you'll never get sight even of the gates of light. Thank you. Let's stand to sing. Turn with me to 2 Peter and the third chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3. I have a preacher's Bible that I cherish very, very much. And I know other preachers use this particular copy of the Scriptures in their ministry and the preaching of the Word. And throughout the, the chapters, there's there are little headings. And there's one here in the verses that we're going to read tonight. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 14. And the section here has a title in my Bible. It will not be in yours, but it's here. And it simply reads, Unwilling. For any to perish. It's a great truth. Keep that in mind as we read these verses together. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, were by the world that was, then was, being overflowed with water, perished. 
both the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. May God bless his word to every heart tonight for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father, in this moment we seek the Lord. We've just read your word and we thank you for it. You've spoken already. We believe in these verses to our hearts. As we seek to expound the gospel, we pray for your help. We pray that you will sit beside this congregation tonight. Draw up close to each one and be their instructor, the teacher that we so desperately need. Draw up to this preacher tonight, and Lord, fill me with divine power and help me to proclaim your word in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. Lord, I, I know that I'm preaching to men and women that are going out into eternity. Think of the one of old who spoke about a, a dying man preaching to dying men and women, and that's how it is. We need to prepare for eternity. We need to be right with God. Thank Thee for Your love. Thank Thee, Lord, that Your love is manifested in these verses that we've read tonight because we have, as the title of this section reminds us, that our God is unwilling that any should perish. And so we pray that this truth will be driven home to every heart. Abide with us now and come graciously near for Jesus' sake. Amen told you this morning that I want to preach in this title, Barriers God Has Set Up to Prevent Sinners Going to Hell. And I want to take as my text tonight, and it's very much in keeping with the title of this section, the ninth verse. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One of the great Bible promises yet to be fulfilled is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. The Old Testament proclaimed that Jesus would come again, even though he had not come the first time. Those men that wrote and those prophets of old, they foretold of a day that Jesus would not only come the first time, but he would come the second time. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, as Jude calls him, so way back in the opening generations of the world, Enoch prophesied about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he said, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. The psalmist, he declared, He cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world in righteousness. Malachi speaks of the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And over and over again, in the prophetic word of the Old Testament, it points to the day that Jesus is coming again. 
And so it is when you move into the New Testament Scriptures, the coming of Christ and his second glorious appearing is proclaimed many, many times. Jesus often spoke of that day when he would come again. He said, Ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He promised his disciples, I will come again. He's just about to leave them. He's sitting there at the table just before his death the night before. He's seeking to comfort their hearts because they were downcast because he spoke about going away. In order to comfort them, he reminded them of that day, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The angels proclaimed this glorious truth. They're on the mount of the ascension of Christ before he was taken up, or as he was taken up into heaven. The angels proclaimed to the disciples who stood looking up to heaven as they watched the Savior disappear from their eyes. The angels said, This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Paul said, Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He said, The day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. And James tells us that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now, these are all exceeding great and precious promises. We cannot deny them. Jesus is coming again. The Scripture says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and shall not tarry. It's going to be a glorious day, a wonderful event. Christians should be looking for and hastening towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with a godly living, we should be looking up of every day, for redemption draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord is near. And we should be praying, as the beloved John did, even so come, Lord Jesus. I wonder how many Christians tonight are praying that prayer. How many of you are longing in your heart for the return of Christ? Are you praying with the beloved disciple? Even so come. What a day that's going to be. Jesus is going to descend with a shout, with a trumpet blast. The dead in Christ shall awaken, and those of us, if we're still alive on this earth, when Jesus comes again, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Angels will be sent out into the earth to gather the elect together from the four quarters of this earth. Praise God, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, Jesus will come again. Peter, in our text, informs us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. You see, in this chapter, he has been discussing the last days, the second coming of Christ and the great day of judgment. Men will arise, he tells us, mocking the truth of God. We read in verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. This final era of this age prior to the glorious return of Christ will be characterized by scoffers. Some will mock. They will make a mock of sin. They will make a mock of salvation. And they will certainly make a mock of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. As they come with their scoffs and walking after their own lusts, here's what they will say. Peter tells us, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so the ungodly out there, maybe you hear it even today, where is this promise? Where is the promise of his coming? I don't see any sign that Jesus is coming again. There's no indication to me that the Savior that you speak about is returning. There's no proof whatsoever. Those who gave the promise, they're all dead. And those who received the promise, they're all likewise dead. 
the history of this world rolls on, years rapidly pass, century after century comes and goes, and there's no change. That's what people are saying. Of course, Peter reminds them that there had been a great change in this world. And that's the drowning of the old world. Look there at verses 5 and 6. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water were by the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. The heaven had thrown open her windows, and the whole earth in its entirety was overflowed with water, and all perished. Every last soul in this world, except for the eight that were in the ark. Just as the old world had been destroyed, so this present world will also be destroyed. Look at verse 7. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto, the, unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. God keeps his appointments. With him, time and delay have no particular relevance. You see what we read in verse 8? But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In the account of man, there's a vast difference between one day and a year. Isn't that right? And even more so when you consider one day and a thousand years. There's a vastness. Nobody here is going to live for a thousand years. When we think of a thousand years, it's a mass amount of years. One year, maybe, or one day, maybe not so much. But in the account of God, He who inhabits the great eternity, there's no difference whatsoever. One day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day to Him. Sinful men view God's delays, as we see here, as slackness. He's unable to fulfill His promises. I want you to know that God's delay is long-suffering. That's what Peter is telling us here. And if there is a delay, and there is a delay in the coming of the Lord as far as we see it, it's not slackness on the part of God. It is long-suffering. He is giving more time. He is giving more space for men to repent of their sin and turn from their wicked ways. So any delay is a mercy from Almighty God. The truth is God has no delight in the death of sinners. He's a merciful God. He takes no pleasure in casting men into hell. Isn't that what we're told in verse 9? He's not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because of Christ's love, compassion, and grace, and long-suffering, he desires men to repent, to turn from their wicked ways. And therefore, I'm going to put it to you tonight, because of this love, because of this mercy, because he's the long-suffering God, he has erected barriers, and he's put them in your way to stop you from going to hell. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. If a man was in danger of physical burning in a natural fire, you would do what you could, whatever was possible to stop him from being burned alive. A worse calamity awaits sinners, for sinners are going down into the eternal fires of a lost eternity. And God has done everything possible to stop that happening. And so let's look at the barriers that God has set up to prevent sinners from going to hell. And the first one 
is the Bible itself. You must walk over this in order to go to hell. You must bypass the word of God, the, the word that God has given in order for you to be lost in a Christless eternity. God wrote down his words from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation. He had holy men, great men, pen his sacred words. They're called the oracles of God. Genesis to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Joshua to Esther is the historical books, Job through to the Song of Solomon are the poetical books, and then Isaiah through to Malachi are the prophetical books, the words of prophecy. You move into the New Testament, you have Matthew to John, which comprise the Gospels, the history of Christ, His ministry on earth. You have the book of Acts, it's the one historical book of the New Testament. And then you have from Romans right through to Jude, these are the epistles, the letters that were written. And then the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is the prophetical book. Every word is ordained by God. The Scriptures are God-breathed, God-inspired. And my friends, it's a barrier to stop you from being lost forever. This book tells the sinner why he needs to be saved. You need to be saved because of your sin. That's what the Bible tells us. This book tells us how you can be saved. There's only one way. We sang it earlier. It's the way of the cross that leads home. No other way to heaven. No other way to glory but the cross of Jesus Christ. And this book tells us not only how you can be saved, but it tells us when you need to be saved. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. God's Word declares the great truths of the gospel to your mind, to your heart, and your soul. And it has a power all of its own. Oh, there's no book like this book. No book ever written in, in the, the, the centuries of history that could be compared to this book. This is God's book. And this book has a power of its own in it. It's quick and powerful, the Bible says. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. It's that hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. No book like it in all the world. And I know that you feel the power of the Word as it is preached, as it goes down deep into your being, and it produces their conviction, and it brings about concern. I know when you've come to, to gospel meetings like this and gospel missions that God has been taking His Word, the Bible, as it is proclaimed, and He's used that to bring you under a sense of sin. And you're convicted and you're concerned about the, the, your soul and the things of God. The soul that sinneth it shall die is the declaration of God's Word. Oh, that truth many a time has penetrated into the heart. The wages of sin is death. We think of death and hell being cast into the lake of fire. What a warning that is. If you die in your sin, you'll end up in the lake of fire. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have that plea in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die? Oh, my friend, why would you die? when provision has been made in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I'm just taking out some of the selected verses of the Bible that deal with the gospel, that present to you your need. These great truths that have so often been used to, to bring a man under conviction. My friend, it's a barrier God has set up His Word, the Bible, to stop you from going to hell. He has given to you this message, and in order for you to, to be lost, you must walk by the Bible. You must trample it beneath your feet. It's a barrier. The second barrier that He has given is that of prayer. Prayer meetings are held. Prayer meeting was held before this service. Why do we go there at 6.30? Primarily to pray for this meeting in which we're in to plead with God that sinners might be converted 
that sinners might be brought under conviction, that God would do a work in their heart and save their souls. And there's power in prayer. I believe that with all of my heart. Or I wouldn't go week after week, year after year, to the prayer meetings. You must jump over the barrier of prayer. You must tread underfoot the prayers of a loving mother, a loving father, who has been praying for a wayward son or a wayward daughter. You must walk over the prayers of a concerned friend, maybe that has even brought you to gospel meetings like this. You must walk over the prayers of this preacher in order for you to be lost. Oh, indeed, you must trample under feet the prayers of Christ. He's making intercession. He prays for sinners. You know, God has burdened our souls for you. If you're not saved, we're praying for you. We make no apology for that. And God will answer prayer. And that's why we pray. That's why we go to the 630 prayer meeting. That's why some are able to rise on a Sabbath morning and get to the 8 o'clock prayer meeting. That's why on a Thursday night, diligently, regularly, resolutely, we go to the prayer meeting to plead with God that you might be converted. And my friend, it's a barrier. It's a barrier. Let me remind every Christian about the importance of prayer. Let me remind you, child of God, about the power of prayer. If you have lost that thought in your mind, if you have lost that in your heart, let me remind you that there's power in the prayers of God's people and therefore never be negligent when it comes to the place of prayer. Never be an absentee where possible when it comes to the throne of grace in the public seasons of prayer. Never treat it lightly. That is just another prayer meeting. These meetings of prayer are so important. It's one of the barriers that God has set up to stop men going to hell. His name was known all around the world. Crowds flocked to his church to hear him preach. And everywhere else, people devoured the printed editions of his sermons. When he died... 60,000 admirers filled, filed past his casket, and 100,000 people lined the streets at his funeral. Even today, people visit his grave to pay tribute. Even more books of his are read, and his sermons are loved. And yet before Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. He was a young boy in the arms of a godly mother. Amid all his success and all his fame, he would never forget his first and his best instructor. I cannot tell, he said, how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. As a godly mother in the Spurgeon home, she had a ministry of prayer with her children, gathered them around her every day, and pleaded with God for their souls. She prayed for them one by one that God would save them. And when it came to Charles, she, she pleaded especially for him, for he was a young rascal. In these prayers, she pleaded with God to extend his saving mercy to her children. Charles remembers that on one occasion she prayed in this way, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, and my soul must bear a swift witness against them at that day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. The thought of his own mother on the day of judgment witnessing against his children really troubled his heart, stirred his soul. Her intercessions made such a deep impression on her young son that many years later he would write, How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? Another time she wrapped her arms around his neck and simply cried to God, Oh, that my son might live before thee 
The deepest desire of her heart was to see her children embrace the Savior. And my dear friends, these are the kind of prayers that form a barrier in your path as you march towards hell itself. The barriers of a mother, the barrier of a mother's prayer, the barrier of a father's prayer, a family member, a friend, some Christian, this preacher, this church, as they plead with God for your salvation. God has set it up to stop you from ruining your own soul forever. The third barrier is what's happening right now. That's the preaching of the Word. Week after week, you tear down this obstacle. God is not willing that any should perish, we're told. That's why we preach. That's why we have these gospel meetings. That's why we want to see every Sunday night as a gospel service. The sinners can come and they will know that they're going to hear the word of God that is able to make them wise unto salvation. That's why we conduct our missions. That's why we go to the open air. That's why we go from house to house and give out invitations. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preachers preach, you must be born again, and, and you're still not born again. We make it plain and simple. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and still you're not saved. We warn of the wrath to come. We warn about hell and destruction. We warn about the judgment day. We speak of the love of Christ. We speak about the cross upon which he died there at Calvary. We set before you the sufferings of a dear Savior who was crucified for our sin. And yet the barrier of preaching thus far has had little effect upon you. I fear for your soul. You said every week, under the sound of the word, you attend the missions, you listen to the gospel, you listen to the sermons, but you ignore it. And you turn away from it. In order for you to be lost, you must knock down the barrier of preaching. But there's another barrier that I want to mention. And that is the cross work of Christ. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. Finished is the work of Calvary. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? He shows you his lacerated back. It was plowed into open furrows of blood and sinew by the scourging that he received. He reminds you of his visage that was marred more than any man, beaten until unrecognizable. He points to the thorn-crowned brow that was pushed into his head. He says, Behold my hands and, and my feet, as he points to these wounds of the cross. And you gaze upon the spittle that trickled down his face as men spat into the lovely face of the Savior. And you ponder the sufferings and the anguish of the cross and you consider the bruising and the bleeding of Christ, and you contemplate the forsaking of Christ, and you meditate upon how wicked sin must be, that it did all that to the Christ of God. And you hear Jesus call out to you, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me. Will you side with those at Gabbatha who shouted away with him, away with him, crucify him? Will you be numbered with the Jews who said, we will not have this man to reign over us? Will you join with the, the spectators around the cross wagging their heads and in mockery calling him to come down from the cross if he is who he said 
or who he proclaimed to be the Son of God. In order for you to be lost, my friend, you must turn your back upon Jesus, the bleeding Lamb of God. You must reject the atonement and the sacrifice of Christ. You must reject His love and His mercy. You must walk away from Calvary with your back against the Redeemer in order for you to be lost in hell. This is a barrier. It's the barrier of the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of your sin. And woe unto him that trampleth beneath his feet the blood of the Son of God. God's barriers to stop you from going to hell. There's one more I want to mention as the Holy Spirit himself. God strives in the hearts of sinners. He moves by his own divine power. He's striving with you this very night in this meeting. God has sent his spirit into the world to convince the world of their need of a savior. We've talked already about the Lord sitting the night before with his disciples at the table. There were many things that he had to say to them. And one of those things coming near the end of his talk was to do with the comforter, the blessed Holy Ghost, and how he would send another comforter into the world. And when he has come, Jesus said in John chapter 16, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those things. The great ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of sinners to reprove, to convince the world. What about sin? That you are a sinner in the sight of God. Sin that condemns you. Sin that's taking you to hell. To reprove them not only of sin, but of righteousness. Simply to remind them you have no righteousness of your own to stand before God. All your own personal righteousness are like filthy rags in the sight of God. But you need the righteousness of another. And it's the task of the Holy Spirit to bring you under a sense of sin. To bring you to a consciousness that you're a sinner before God. And then to show you, you have no righteousness but you need the righteousness of another. You need to be covered in the robe of righteousness. And then he convinces about judgment. There is a thought of the judgment to come. But it's more likely that he's referring to the judgment of Christ upon the cross when he was judged for our sin, when he was nailed to the cross and he died for us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Between you and hell stands the blessed Spirit of God. He's the teacher. He's the guide. He's the instructor. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that quickens dead souls. He is the one that pleads in your heart. He is the one that persuades you of your need of a Savior. And you feel that. I know you do. He stands in your way as a barrier just like the cherubim stood at the gates of Eden with the flaming sword to, to turn away people that would approach. So the Spirit of God stands in your way to turn you away from a lost eternity. You must fight against Him. You must resist Him. You must say no to the Spirit of God in order for you to be lost. Breaking down the barrier of the Holy Spirit my friends, will be the very thing that will damn your soul forever. I want you to know that. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And though the blessed Spirit of God strives now and convinces men now and works in your heart now, He will not always. There will come a time when the Spirit of God will cease to strive, when He will cease to speak. And you have rejected him over and over again. You've broken down the barrier of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, you're as good as lost as if you were in hell itself. Because re rejecting the Holy Spirit is dangerous. You pull down this barrier, my friend, you'll end up in a Christless hell. And hell is a real place. It's a lost eternity. It's where the worm dieth not and where the fire is not quenched. The place of the fire and the brimstone, the lake of fire that we spoke about earlier. How good and 
how gracious God is. I want you to see that as we close this meeting tonight, how good God is, how gracious God is to you in this very matter. He's put up all these barriers to stop you from going to hell. And up until this moment in your life, you've been pulling them all down. The Word of God, the prayers of God's people, the preaching of the Word, the cross work of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit Himself. Now, what are you going to do with God's barriers tonight? He's put them up. They're standing in your way to prevent you from being lost. You must either bypass them, you must either knock them down, or you must allow them to be that barrier that stops you from going to hell and come to Christ. I pray that it will be the latter, that you will seek the Lord tonight, that you'll call upon his name and be saved. Shall we pray? We're glad that our God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, we believe you set all these things up in our way to stop us from being lost in hell forever. I want to acknowledge the goodness and the mercy of God in this. The God of love, the God of mercy, who desires not the damnation of sinners, but the salvation of those that are lost. And Father, we pray that you will speak now. And as the Spirit of God has been working in hearts, Lord, we pray that you'll draw them to Christ. Stand in their way right now. Put up these barriers. Lord, make it difficult for them to to leave the meeting without Christ, to go out into the darkness of this night without a Savior. Oh, we pray for that conviction of sin and that true conversion to Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen. We sing in closing to 133, reminding us once again the the gospel message from the Savior you've heard. Will you heed the invitation? Will you turn and seek the Lord? I pray tonight that you will, and that you will come believing Christ receiving, that you'll come to Jesus and look and live. Let's just rise to see.
Trust in Christ's atoning blood and rest on his unchanging word. And what you need to do is to come. Come believing. Come to Jesus. Look and live. It's up to you. What will you do with Christ? Heavenly Father, in the close of this meeting, we pray that grace will be given for sinners to come. Come believing and to come to the only remedy for sin, and that is Jesus. And to have that look of faith that brings life, that they might look and live. Deal with sinners graciously. We know that thou art a gracious God. Deal with them mercifully. Thou art a merciful God. Deal with them lovingly, for thou art a loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.